This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning. Our first reading is from Exodus 15, verses 1 to 18. Then Moses and the Israelites sang to this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. His picked officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depth like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered in the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You sent out your fury. It consumed them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your steadfast love, you led the people whom you redeemed. You guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples heard, they trembled. Pangs seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. Trembling seized the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan melted away. Terror and dread fell upon them. By the might of your arm, they became still as stone until your people, O Lord, passed by, until the people whom you acquired passed by. You brought them in and planted them on the mountain of your possession, the place, O Lord, that you made your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Hear the word of the Lord. And the second reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, um, the third chapter, and uh, we begin at verse 15. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them by shutting up John in prison. Now, when all the people were baptised, and when Jesus also had been baptised and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks Peter. Good morning. Let us pray. Gracious God, your word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Today, when we hear your voice, deliver us from hardness of heart. Help us to put away everything that keeps us from persevering in your way. For the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I want to ask you, why did you come to church this morning? Well, of course, we come for lots of different reasons. Maybe out of habit, or to see friends, or maybe you, you were rostered on. You wouldn't have come otherwise. Uh, or maybe you were dragged here. But as I talk to lots of people who are connected with St. Mark's, believers and unbelievers, and everyone in between, one underlying reason is to connect with something that is significant and meaningful. And not just meaningful and significant relationships and community, though we have that, of course, but something deep and transcendent. We all have a hunger for significance and depth. C.S. Lewis spoke of an inconsolable longing where we have a deep yearning, a feeling of intensely missing something, even though we don't quite know what it is. A longing for transcendence. Now this morning we're considering the holiness of God. Sometimes we talk about holiness in trivial or even negative ways. You know, the hallowed ground of the SCG, or uh, the holy person who is holier than thou and maybe stuck up and stuffy. But holiness in the Bible is actually about participating in something that is transcendent, beautiful, and awe-inspiring. Not just fleeting feelings of transcendence here and there, because God's holiness is the source of terror and wonder, of life and abundance. Of course, the issue is how can we as, a, as finite, so finite and so fallen creatures get a grasp on this holiness and so experience this transcendence and purpose that we long for? And the place to begin is to gaze right into the depths of this holy God 
who is himself holy. And that's the first half of of what I want to say this morning. We're going to look at this holy God who is himself holy. You might have heard of a definition of holiness uh, that is something like this, that to be holy means to, to be separate or set apart and maybe different. You know, this is true. God is separate from us. He is different to us. But the problem is you could say the same thing about you know, a nice tea set that you save for when grandma comes over. But God is holy because, well, God is God. God's holiness is, make, is what makes him God and us not. He's utterly incomparable and unique. So there's nothing and no one like him. When Hannah, the mother of the great prophet Samuel, back in the book of 1 Samuel, finds that she's conceived a child by God's power, she declares, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. Ludwig Feuerbach was a 19th century philosopher who had a lot to say about God and the human mind. And for him, God was just a figment of our imagination. He was a projection of our human nature. You, we, want, we really like the idea of love and we like the idea of goodness. So we project our longings and desires kind of into the sky. We want this God who is actually like ourselves to, to love what we love and to hate what I hate and to vote how I would vote. And so we project this idea of God that just reflects our own preferences. And, you know, I think he's right, not about the God doesn't exist bit, but about all the other bits. You know, we do this kind of thing all the time when we say or think, I like to think of God as, and then insert our idea of goodness and love and godness, what we think God should be like. But God's holiness means that he isn't like us. Hosea 11 verse 9, God says, For I am God and not a human, the Holy One among you. Now God is like us in a lot of ways, but in all those ways, he is so far beyond us, so abundant and perfect, that it's like he stops becoming like one of us. That's his holiness. So for example, God is loving, but he's, and his love is a bit like our love, but it is so perfect and so abundant that it stops being like our love. That's his holy love. And God creates, and like, that's like how we create, we make things. But God's creativity is so beyond us, so abundant and rich, that it's no longer like us anymore. That's his holy creativity. An abundant, perfect difference. That is God's holiness. Now, this means something really, really important for us. It means that God is beyond our wildest imaginations or expectations of what God could be or who he is. And that is really, really good news because he is not just like you or me. It's not, thank God, it's not kind of a big version of me up in the sky. He is and can do far beyond what we could ever imagine. When Hannah said, there is no one holy like the Lord, there is no one besides you. It was because God had done for her and for her people what was beyond her wildest dreams. 
She was unable to conceive. And so that was a personal hurt that was so deep. But also her nation was ripped apart. There was no future hope for them. They were doomed. Nothing she could do or anyone else. But God, but by giving her this child, God stepped in and turned everything around to save her, her nation, and the world in his holy and incomparable way. So because God is holy, she could trust him, and so can you. So God is, in his holiness, he's incomparable. And in the Bible, this is expressed in a bunch of ways, but primarily two ways. And the first is that he is supremely majestic. Isaiah 57, 57 verse 15 says this, For this is what the high, the high and exalted one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. Now it's not just that God is kind of up there and we're down here. His supreme majesty means he has no rivals. There's no one like him, nor is there any place for rivals. We had Exodus chapter 15 read out before. And that's a song where Moses and the Israelites praise God for what he did in the Exodus. And at the Exodus, the Egyptian Pharaoh was the very antithesis of God's good purposes for creation. He had enslaved his people, drove them with hard labor, ruled by brute force and selfish cruelty. So he and his gods, they were the arch nemesis of God and his good purposes for creation. But at the Exodus, God brought the plagues. He led his people out through the sea. His holy majesty defeated Pharaoh and his gods, swept away that oppression and cruelty and brought freedom and life. And so it's this unrivaled supremacy that they praise when they sing, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, doing wonders? God's Holy God is supremely majestic over every possible rival. That means that God is supreme over every power or force that you might ever feel or experience. Sometimes it can feel like the world is pressing in against you, that even spiritual powers are pressing in. But this holy God, has complete dominance over any spiritual force or political power who could ever terrify us. Finally, God's holiness means he is morally pure. He's absolutely good and trustworthy because there's no stain of evil or sin in him. Uh, the prophet Habakkuk, he reflects, he sees him down into the world and he sees the evil in the world and he addresses God about it and he, he knows... He nevertheless knows that God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. So he says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. God is the absolute source of everything good and beautiful in the world. But this also means that he can't tolerate evil. As the Holy One, he exposes and judges every trace of evil, of wrongdoing, of foolishness, of willful ignorance. That's why Jesus, in that Luke 3 passage that we had read, 
It was kind of a surprising one to hear in the Gospels. This image of Jesus, the Holy Son of God, as, bring, as baptizing with the Holy Spirit and fire with a winnowing fork, dividing, judging, burning, bringing judgment against wickedness and purifying his people in the world. And so you see, God's holiness, it has nothing to do with fine china or historically significant sporting turf. His holiness is his absolute unrivaled difference expressed in his majesty and purity. So where does that leave us? How do we react to a God like this? You know, I talked about we kind of feel the transcendence, but it feels so beyond us when it's in this God. Well, the fundamental way is for us to worship him, to fall on our knees. Somewhere, uh, sometimes people ask me, you know, what's, what's Christianity all about? What is it at its core? What would you say? I really think that it's about worship. And I don't just mean the great things that we do like singing wonderful songs or quietly saying prayers. I mean really worshipping God with all our being all the time. Offering our whole lives as living sacrifices and refusing to worship anything else or anyone else. Not our plans or productions. Not our careers or reputations. Not our money or education. Not our marriages or kids. Nothing. Putting nothing above him. And yet this is what we do all the time. We make ourselves little gods and we run around after all these other little gods. We keep going back to them, loving them, obeying them, offering our lives on their altars. But because this God is holy, we cannot do that. And there's, uh, the problem still stands. There's another problem here. Because of this failure to worship this holy God, it puts him even further beyond our reach. His moral purity means that all our impure thoughts and actions are exposed. And so the problem isn't just that we can't have these feelings of meaning and significance here and there, but that there is an impassable gulf between us and this holy God who is the very source of the life that we need. When the prophet Isaiah caught a glimpse of this holy God in smoke and fire and terror, you know how he responded? Isaiah 6.5 Woe to me, he cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. God's holiness exposes our unholiness. We are mere weak creatures, utterly dependent on him. And we're stained by imperfection and we don't worship him as we should. And so, as the Bible puts it, we are by nature objects of his holy wrath. But there's a paradox in God's holiness. And that paradox is this, that his holiness reaches out and makes us holy too. 
I quoted before from Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, but I didn't finish the verse. This is astounding. Listen to this. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and lofty place and also with those who are contrite and humble in spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite. And this is the main thing to say this morning about the holiness of God, the second main thing to say about the holiness of God, that this holy God makes holy, makes us holy. But how does this work? Well, he does it by sharing his holiness. And one of the images in the Bible that really helps us here is fire. And when God appears to his people at Mount Sinai right after the Exodus, God descends in terrifying smoke and fire. And remember the bushfires just back in 2019 and the images of their awesome power. You know, fire burns, cauterizes and destroys but this fire and smoke has another side too. Fire warms and feeds us and gives us our very life. That's why we gather around it. Just a few weeks ago, you might have noticed the little brown patch on the grass in the, uh, behind the Howardley Hall. Uh, at youth group, we had a campfire night. Uh, and uh, what is so wonderful about campfires is you sit around it, and it's like it's this life, life-giving warmth and heat. But you get too close and it will burn. I, I was uh, just on Friday, I went for a walk down to Mikel Park uh, in the afternoon sun. You know, if I was to take a rocket ship and I, oh, the sun's great. If I was going to take a rocket ship and go, I want more sun and fly to it, I'd be burnt to cinders and ash like that. But... We, yet we can stand here and have the life-giving nourishment of the sun's rays. The heat and energy radiates out to us to warm and vivify. And God's holiness is like that. But what does this radiating holiness achieve? Well, you know, when you think of someone who's holy, what do you think of? Someone who doesn't drink and smoke? someone who prays five times a day or wears a hair shirt. Uh, when God reaches out to make us holy, it's not about becoming a priest or never, become, or never getting a speeding ticket. When God shares his holiness with us, it sanctifies us. And what that means is that he makes us fit for him. And in a sense, he, he takes his holy divine nature and he shares it with us. And so we're made holy in a secondary kind of way, to be in a relationship with him, to serve him and to show his holiness in the world. He draws you near to this, his holy and life-giving fire, so you are warmed and nourished and safe. And so this is the fundamental connection and significance that we began speaking about. This inconsolable longing for transcendence begins to be met when we are brought close to, to this holy God and made holy by him. And we can see God has done this all through time. Right at the beginning when he made the creation, he made it holy. He sanctified the seventh day. 
as a way of saying that his creation is to share in his holiness and to live in fellowship with him and receive life and rest. And later, after creation had spurned his holy love, God did it again with his holy people Israel. At the Exodus, the purpose of that was to make them a holy people, to make them like him, part share in his divinity, so he can live with them and bring his life and blessing. And this majestic and overpowering holiness did that, lived, came and lived with them in the tabernacle, you know, that, that temple-like tent where God is present there in the middle of his holy people. His fiery holiness would have destroyed them, but the curtains, the priests, the sacrifices were a way of containing his holiness. So the right protocol to approach, and they symbolically purified them of sin so he could be near. But God's definitive act of sanctifying us is to make us holy through Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God, His sacrificial death purifies us of all our sin and his Holy Spirit comes to live in us and among us. He doesn't just make us feel good or something. Instead, he connects us with God. He unites us with Christ. And so the very holiness that is God's becomes ours too as we live in him. And so it's here that you will find transcendence and beauty and life and abundance. It's here where you can be safe with this holy God. Now I want to close with two brief ways for us to respond. And the first is to embrace his holiness. Embrace this holiness. Now this morning, if you are a Christian, you are, you are holy. You're not on a quest to get more holy. I'll come to holy living in just a couple of seconds. But you are holy. He has made you so. His holiness is not a burning, destroying fire, but a life-giving light for you. And this is deeply significant because it means that even though you might feel unholy, you are holy and safe. This is especially, especially significant for you if you find yourself caught in persistent sin and destructive things that keep bringing you down. Because you need to remember that those things do not define you. What defines you is that you are made holy in Jesus Christ. You are fit for God, this holy God who wants you to know the riches of his holy life. But if you're not a Christian here today, not a disciple of Jesus, I want you to consider what you've heard. This holy God is a consuming fire, and yet he reaches out in holy love to share his life and light with you. So won't you take it? And finally, we respond to God's holiness by living out this holiness that he gives us. God told the Israelites, his holy people, in Leviticus 19.2, he said, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. If this God has made us holy, we are now set apart to serve him with our lives. It's now who you are. So let's live like it. The Christians in the early church were known for being distinctive in their Roman context. They were so different to what was around them. They knew they were holy, so they pursued a life that was holy like God, that reflected the New Testament picture of holy lives dedicated to serving him. They were known for their integrity. They were scrupulously honest. They were known for their forgiveness, seeking forgiveness and reconciliation, not vengeance. They were known for their chastity, 
They were committed to faithful marriages and sex within faithful marriages. They were known for their generosity. They were unbelievably committed to caring for the poor and sharing what they had. They sought to be holy as their Lord God is holy. They radiated that holiness and transcendence to the world around them. And when we live like that, we do the same. So in the light and power of our holy God, let's be holy as the Lord our God is holy and as he made us to be. Let me pray and ask for his help. Our holy God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we praise you for your majesty and your purity, for your incomparable holiness. And we praise you for allowing us to share in that with you. And so would you enable us to live lives that reflect your holiness to the world around us so that all may see and all may glory in you and your holy love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.